Hope you have a most blessed new year. If you've been worshiping with us for any period of time, this morning's message is no surprise to you. Every year, my uh, emphasis for the first Sunday after Christmas is to read through your Bible in a year. And this morning, I have in my mind two target audiences. First, I want to encourage anyone here that has never read their Bible through to make that a New Year's resolution. If New Year's resolution is a bad concept to you, then just think about it as a commitment. If you don't like that, just say, this year I'm going to read my Bible through uh, in a year. And uh, if you have been reading your Bible through, and perhaps you have read it many times, then you are part of the second target audience. And my word to you is, then do it again. Don't stop. But to read your Bible through again this year. The theme of this morning's message is the importance of feeding upon the Word of God. And uh, we're going to be using that analogy a great deal as we work through this text. The importance of feeding upon the Word of God. So why is it important for each of us to read the Bible through in a year? My text, as you have heard, is Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you're not there, I encourage you to turn your Bibles as we look at the reasons why it's important for us to be reading through the Bible in a year. Well, first of all, it's important for each of us to read through the Bible in a year because there is universal need for feeding on the Word of God. There's a universal need to be feeding upon the Word of God. Everyone needs to be reading the Bible, just as everyone needs to eat. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he is addressing them in preparation for their entrance into the promised land. And he says of God's leading, verse 3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, and now these words, that man does not live by bread alone. We're focusing on the word Man. Man does not live by bread alone. I know that we are in a day and age in which uh, gender uh, references are pretty uh, significant, important to people. This simply is saying humanity, humanity, human beings in general need to be feeding upon the Word of God. I chose this passage of Scripture uh, to consider this morning because of the universal need that it demonstrates to be feeding upon the Word of God. Every human being, without exception, needs food. That's the analogy. Man does not live by bread alone. Every human being needs food. And I would submit to you that every child of God needs to be feeding upon the Word of God. It's easy to think that, you know, I have this emphasis because I'm a pastor. And because I'm a pastor and because I'm interested in these things, then that flows over into my view of how other people should be living, etc., etc. And so, because I'm a pastor, then I'm telling other people that you need to be reading your Bible through. Well, that's not the case. Uh, In fact, I started that practice many, many years ago, before, before I was a pastor, while I was still a child turning into my teenage years. I think we would all agree 
that pastors and teachers need to be spending time in the Word of God each day. But what I want to emphasize is that everybody needs to be spending time in the Word of God today. It isn't just the chefs that eat. Everyone eats. Maybe the chef delights in its preparation, and the chef delights in the delicacies of the food a little bit more. But everyone needs to be eating food, and we all need to be reading the Word of God. Just as everyone needs food for their physical well-being, so too everyone needs to feed upon the Word of God for their spiritual well-being. And the Scriptures illustrate this in a number of ways. As I said, this feeding upon the Word of God is a repeated metaphor in the Scriptures. The infant in Christ needs the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it reads, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word, so it, by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So we all need to be feeding upon the Word of God in order to grow. Just as even an infant child needs, needs milk, so too as infants in Christ, people who are just saved, people who are very young in their faith, need to be feeding upon the Word of God. But it isn't just the babes in Christ. Also, the spiritually mature need to be feeding upon the Word of God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it reads, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. So we grow, we mature, we develop, we get to the place where we can handle the word of God the meat of it by constant practice. By constant practice. By reading and reading and reading the Word of God. That's how we become spiritually mature. Again, milking this analogy, one never progresses to the point where they no longer need to eat food. No matter how old you are, No matter how long you have lived, no matter how many calories you've taken in over the years, no matter how many buffets that you have gone to, or Christmas and Thanksgiving feasts that you were a part of, you never stop needing to eat. So too, no matter how skilled we are in the Word, no matter how often we have read it, no matter how well we understand it, we never mature to the place where we no longer need to be giving our attention and reading the Word of God. Secondly, it's important for each of us to read through the Bible in a year because there is a universal need to be feeding upon the Word of God now with this thought on a daily basis, on a daily basis. Moses reminded the Israelites of the way that God had led them in the wilderness, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. 
goes on to say that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He brought the people to a place of total dependence upon God. For it tells us that he humbled them in verse 3. And he humbled you. Said also in verse 2. The emphasis is that they needed to see their inadequacies in God's sufficiency. God provided for them in ways that they could not provide for themselves. And he demonstrated this. He showed that to them by allowing them to experience a severe lack of food in verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger. He allowed them to experience hunger. God led them to a place where there was absolutely nothing to eat. It was a barren land. And God provided for them in a miraculous manner. That is, God gave them manna to eat in verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Now, I hope that you have some background into what the manna was. And let me just say, if you don't, that is another reason why it's so important to be reading the scriptures through. You will get, I will guarantee you, you will get so much more out of the preaching of the word of God, the better you know your Bible. The better you know the scriptures, the more you will understand the things that I am declaring from this pulpit. The more we read it, the more we have this background that's very important. So it's talking about the manna. What was the manna? Well, manna was a bread-like substance that appeared each morning with the morning dew. The children of Israel were in the wilderness. And for 40 years, God fed them with this miraculous food that appeared every morning. And as the heat of the day would cause the dew to dry up, so too the heat of the day, the manna would be removed. Each morning, the children of Israel had to get up and they had to gather the manna. They could not gather enough for the next two days, three days, four days, five days. They couldn't just put it in their pantry, as it were, and uh, their storehouse and go to it and collect it, for it would spoil in a day's time. And it would become odious. It would stink. It would be awful, and it would be filled with worms. You couldn't keep this manna overnight. It had to be gathered each day. Each day. Except for The Sabbath day, on which there was no manna, God did not provide manna on the Sabbath day, and he told them that they were to collect two times as much food on the day before the Sabbath, enough food for that day and enough food for the Sabbath day, so that they would have something to eat. And on the Sabbath day alone, that food would last for two days. It would not become odious. It would not stench. It would be fine. Well, some of the Israelites thought, That food's going to be there, just like it's always been there, and they didn't gather it enough for two days before the Sabbath, and lo and behold, on the Sabbath day, it wasn't there, just as God said it wouldn't be. Others thought, well, if we gather this and and, uh, we keep it for two days, then it's going to stink, because some of them had tried it. Some of them had uh, tried to keep this for more than a day, and it got full of worms, and it stank. So there were those that said, well, it won't last for two days. We tried that. Well, it did last for two days because God said that. God had instructed them. God had taught them 
how to eat this manna. And the primary lesson was that they needed to eat it virtually every single day. Every single day. The lesson of the manna was to teach, among other things, one's daily dependence upon God and his word. Jesus taught us in a similar manner in the Lord's Prayer to pray for our daily bread. Matthew 6, 9 and following. Pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. People need to eat food on a daily basis in order to stay healthy. You just can't stuff yourself on Thanksgiving and let it carry you over to mid-December. It's not going to work. So too, we need to be feeding upon the Word of God on a daily basis if we're going to be spiritually healthy. When I'm encouraging you to read the Bible through in a year, I am assuming that you are going to be reading it on a daily basis, that, that you're going to take about uh, anywhere from three to five chapters, depending on the length of those chapters, reading them each day for the entire year. Uh, so I'm really encouraging you to be reading the Bible every day. Some of you may read the Bible through much quicker than that. Uh, some of you may read the Bible through in three months or six months or whatever the case may be. And if you do that, commendable, that's great. But then don't not read for another six months, okay? Don't say, I got my Bible reading in for this year and put the Bible on a shelf, but continue to read it. Read the Bible every day is what the emphasis is. Keep on reading. Secondly, one of the reasons I'm encouraging you to read through the entire Bible in a year, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is because I think it's a good portion of Scripture to read, three to five chapters. I would submit to you that that is equivalent to a basic diet. It's kind of the, like the minimum number of spiritual calories that you need to eat every day in order to stay healthy. Um, anything less than that is a crash diet or a starvation diet, okay? Uh, especially, you know, if you're reading like the daily bread, the devotional, I don't have anything against the daily bread except it's not enough, okay? <clears throat> you get one or two verses and, and some comments. That's not enough. That's not enough. Uh, I saw a statistic that talked about people reading the scriptures, evangelicals, where 20% read maybe a sentence or two a month. That's not enough. That's not enough. That's like trying to survive on a cracker for a month, okay? Good basic diet is three to five chapters. And I'd also say to you, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if you don't always remember what you read. That, that can be disheartening, you know, and, and you say to yourself, you know, I, I've read the scriptures and, and, and I can't remember what I just read. And you say to yourself, well, what good is that? What value is in there in that? How has that benefited me if I can't remember what I've read? Well, believe it or not, I can't remember what I preached on two months ago. Uh, and every Sunday, I go into the pulpit with at least 13 pages of notes. Because I can't remember all that I studied 
when it comes to Sunday. So I don't get discouraged with people when you can't remember what I preached on because I can't remember what I preached on. But more significant than that, I can't tell you what I had for dinner on any given, sun, uh, on any given night last month. I don't remember what I ate. Uh, I couldn't tell you what it was, but I was nourished by it. I was strengthened by it. It fed me. You don't always have to remember everything you read. You're still nourished by it. You're still strengthened by it. It is the accumulative good health that it is creating. So continue to be reading your Bible. Third, it's important for us to read through the Bible in a year because there is a universal need to be reading the entire Bible. And the entire Bible is what I have in view this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it says, He humbled you and let you hunger and led you with manna, which you did not know, or did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives, and now this phrase, by every word, by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Every word. Paul refers to the whole counsel of God in the book of Acts. Jesus quotes this particular verse when he's tempted by Satan. He's in the wilderness, he's fasting. Satan is tempting him to turn the bread into stone. And Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As you read the temptations of Jesus, each one of them is, is met with a portion of scripture. And each one of those portions of scripture adequately addresses the situation that he's in. He knows the scripture well enough that each time he's tempted, he knows what the word of God has to say. We too need to know the entirety of God's word. The entirety of God's word. When it comes to feeding upon the word of God, we are not to be picky eaters. You know, there, there are people who don't like peas. The people who don't like lima beans, the people who don't like certain foods, you know, and they kind of push them aside. Well, I tell you, we can't be picky eaters. There, there can't be portions of scripture that we just kind of move to the side of our plate and we say, oh, I don't like reading that. That, you know, numbers, well, all, all that, you know. Uh, Ezekiel, oh, boy, that's confusing. Uh, as there are portions of scripture that you just feel like, oh, uh, I don't like that. I'm not going to read it. Well, We can't just feed on the dessert. We, we just can't look at the passages that application just jumps off the page at us. We also have to look at some more of the more difficult texts of the scripture. We need to be committed to a balanced diet. At this time of year, junk mail abounds, doesn't it? You know, you open your mailbox and it's just filled with all this, this junk. And if you're anything like me, I, I, I just kind of look through it, and there's a whole lot of mail that I just never open. I look at it, I see it's some kind of advertisement, I see it's, you know, what it is, it's junk mail, I just throw it in the wastebasket. Don't bother open it, you know. Maybe somebody sent me a million dollars in that mail, and I don't know it, but, you know, so far, nobody's told me you missed out. I, I just throw it, I just throw it, okay. 
I'm saying to you this morning, there are no junk portions of Scripture in the Word of God. There's no junk mail. These are individual books, they're individual letters. But there is nothing that you don't need. There is nothing that isn't valuable. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for living in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The implication is you aren't fully equipped and you are not complete if there are portions of Scripture that you are not familiar with. There are no superfluous words, unnecessary words in the Scripture. <coughs> in John chapter 21, 25, the, uh, the book comes to an end by these words. Now, there also were many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. The Apostle John says, there's so much that I could have written about Jesus that I did not write. And I'm thinking if the scriptures left out so many things that Jesus taught and that Jesus did, then whatever it includes is incredibly important. Incredibly important. And I hope that you got a little bit of a taste, even as we were going through the genealogy of Jesus. All the names, all the places, they have significance. They have value. They have worth. Uh, we need to pay attention to all of God's Word. Don't miss out on anything that God has for you. Fourthly, it's important for each of us to read through the Bible in a year because it is how God speaks to us. It's how God speaks to us. Verse 3, Deuteronomy 8. And he humbled you, he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, and now this, that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It comes from the mouth of the Lord. All too often, people are longing for, seeking after, wanting a direct revelation from God. People wish that God would speak to them. Have you ever desired that? Did you ever think how neat it would be to hear God's voice if God would speak to you? What effort would you put forth if you knew that God was going to meet with you and speak with you at any particular moment or time? How far would you be willing to go? How many days vacation would be, you would be willing to apply to traveling to hear the word of God? Well, even in Moses' day, the people didn't hear God's voice. The closest they came to it was when it thundered on Mount Sinai, when Moses had gone up to receive the Ten Commandments. They didn't hear his voice. They heard thunder. They heard thunder. But they didn't hear God's voice. What they heard was Moses' voice. What they heard was God relating through Moses what they were to do. Ultimately, what the Israelites had is what we have, the book of Deuteronomy. And the future generations read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, even as we are reading Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 this morning. The word of God came through Moses. So too, 
Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, came to us through the instrumentality of Moses. God uses other people to give us his word. That is the essence of the doctrine of inspiration. That the Bible is God's very word to us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 29 and 21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We read already, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Inspiration there is the word to be God-breathed. God-breathed. The very breath of God. It's the same term that's used for God breathing life into uh, Adam. It's the breath of God. It comes from God. One of the great oddities that I really can't explain is, according to all the statistics, the vast majority of evangelicals affirm the doctrine of inspiration. They affirm that the Bible is the Word of God. And yet, the majority of evangelicals have not even read their Bible through, ever, alone in a year. Those two ideas are logically inconsistent. To affirm on the one hand that the Bible is the Word of God, now just think about that for a moment. The Bible is God's Word. Just as if you would hear His voice from heaven. The Bible is God's Word. People say, I believe that. But have never read all of it. Now, this might be a bad illustration, but I listen to most of what my wife says. Most of what she says. But my mind tends to wander from time to time. And there are certain conversations that we get into that I'm not all that excited about, and I work at it, but, you know, the mind just goes, and I don't listen to everything, even though my wife is extremely important to me. God's a whole nother level. <laughs> We're talking about something that transcends human conversation. To think that God has declared his mind and his will to us in a book. And we have the freedom to be able to sit down and to read, to interact with God at any moment. Any time. It's important to understand the two-way communication. Prayer is our speaking to God. Reading the scripture is God speaking to us. And it's with that heart motivation, it's with that devotion that we really need to be reading the scriptures. That we don't think of studying it the way we would study math or study a history book or study. We don't read the Bible so that we get really good at Bible trivia. Or so that we can wow people with what we know. We read the scripture because this is how God speaks to me. This is how God leads me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. 
There's beautiful imagery there. In the verse that precedes this, in Deuteronomy 8, chapter 2, talks about the children of Israel, that they would be reminded of the way that God had led them. God led them by a cloudy pillar by day and a fiery pillar by night. God's presence was with them, and it never departed from them. And when the cloud moved, they moved. And when the fire stayed in one spot, they stayed in one spot. God led them. God led them, and God fed them the manna. God leads us as the word of God is open to us by the Holy Spirit, which brings us to the second great doctrine, and that is the doctrine of illumination. Inspiration tells us that the Bible is God's word. It comes to us from God without error. The doctrine of illumination is that the Holy Spirit illuminates, sheds light upon, gives us understanding of the word as we read it. That is, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. That doesn't mean we hear audible voice, but it does mean that as I read the Word of God, all of a sudden, I see its relevance. I, I see its practicality. I understand how what I am reading applies to what I am experiencing now, what, what I need, what I need. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart, that the Word of God is living in the sense that it's active in our lives. It's not stagnant. God really does speak to us through His Word. He communicates his will, his comfort, his encouragement, his rebuke, his help. With that in mind, the Bible will always remain fresh to us. And we need the scriptures in our lives. We will see things in the scripture that we just didn't notice before, that we just didn't pick up upon. That's true in all areas of life. This uh, past year, uh, it's not past year, but it was, I don't know, Thursday night, Friday night, whatever it was, uh, we got together as a family and watched White Christmas. That's a family tradition, probably have watched White Christmas, just about every, every year. And so we are watching it, and you almost get to know the dialogue. You know, you can kind of fill in what's going to be said and so on. But as we were watching, uh, Pastor Dave made an observation that none of us had really noticed before as we were watching this, this movie, even a movie that we'd seen so many times, but something that we had not noticed. That's true in all of life, but it's much, much more true when it comes to the Scriptures. Why is that? Well, let me give you some reasons. First, because of familiarity that we have with it. The better we know the Bible, the easier it is to make the connections between one portion of Scripture and another. The more we know, for example, what happens at Gilgal, the more it's significant to us when we find out that they build altars at Gilgal. Why that was such a reproach against God. 
For example, as uh, I was uh, considering what to preach on for Advent, uh, trying to come up with something different after having preached on it so many times, well, I was reading through Second, I was reading through Second Samuel. We were preaching on that and uh, came to uh, David and Bathsheba, and uh, Bathsheba gave birth to one that was in Christ's lineage. I knew that. In fact, I was going to make that application, but I started to dwell upon that. I started to think about that. And as I started thinking about that, I started thinking about the other women in the genealogy and thought, okay, that's what I'm going to preach on. But as I was preaching on the women in the genealogy, there were so many things that I wanted to say that I just didn't have time to say. Uh, it's not uncommon for me to, by the end of the week, have 20-some pages of notes that I have to get down to 13. Okay? And you know, as I'm reading through the, the genealogy, there was just so much stuff that, to me, was really interesting. For example, all of the women in that genealogy had unusual pregnancies. That they had difficulty in having a child for various reasons. But there was that common denominator and how God was showing time and time and time again how he could provide and how he was going to be able to give a child to one who it seemed impossible have a child. The second area that, that, that I found to be really fascinating that I'm still working on is Tamar and Ruth. Uh, if, you, if you know who Tamar is, that's going to help be helpful. If you don't, then all this goes over your head. That's part of the problem, okay? But, but Tamar had a relationship with Judah, her father-in-law, and as you start unpacking that, and you look at the laws of the Leverite marriage and the redeeming of the property that I did when I talked about Ruth, you start seeing real opposites here between Ruth and Tamar, between Boaz and Judah. You also see that it was the responsibility of the widow to pursue the one to marry them, which sheds light on what Tamar does, and that is just continuing to grow. I'm just continuing to take notes on that, continuing to work through. I'm just saying that the scriptures work together in a very fascinating way, the better you know them. But another reason that we notice different things each time we read through the Bible is because our lives are constantly changing. I took a, a class with D.A. Carson, and D.A. Carson said that there needs to be a systematic theology written in every generation. Not because the Bible changes, but because the questions change. Because people have different issues that they're concerned about today than what they may have had yesterday. Well, that's true of us. Different passages of Scripture take on a greater significance as we experience different things in life. As you're thinking about getting married, all of a sudden those passages that talk about marriage become much more, much more meaningful. We just had a baby. The passages that start talking about babies have more significance. You've lost a job. Or you've experienced a death in your family. Uh, the promises of God for those 
who've lost loved ones take on a, a different significance and meaning. Our lives are constantly changing. Therefore, we see things constantly in a new light. Even things that perhaps we'd seen so many times. Let me give you another illustration. Have you ever bought a new car and you've changed you know, models, maybe even, and even changed makes, you, know, you went from a Ford to a Dodge or Toyota or whatever the case may be, but you, you bought a new car. All of a sudden, when you're driving down the road, you start seeing that car, right? You, you, all of a sudden, when you own it, then you say, oh, there's one, <laughs> there's one, and you never noticed them before, but as soon as you have one, then you notice it. Well, that's so often it is with the Word of God. When there's a specific need, when there's a, a specific concern, then, as you're reading the Word of God, though you read it a thousand times, it just takes on a freshness. And you say, wow, I've never realized that before. Because it's ministering to you in a complete and new and, and different way. Fifthly, it's important that we be reading the Bible through in a year because there is a universal need to be feeding upon the Word of God because if neglected, it can lead to our spiritual ruin. It will lead to our spiritual ruin. We will become spiritually sick and weak if we're not reading the Bible on a regular basis. When we're strong and healthy, there's a tendency not to worry too much about our diet. In our ease and blessedness, let us not lose sight of the Scriptures. Unfortunately, when we are spiritually strong and healthy, we may not think we need to be reading our Bibles. There is a warning that Moses gives to uh, the children of Israel. God was going to bring Israel into a place where they were no longer going to need the manna. If you read with me at Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 7. It says, For Lord your God, I'm at Deuteronomy 8, 7, For Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, of springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills, far different from the wilderness that they had been in, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, of fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And you say, wow, this is wonderful. Look at all the things we have to eat, and all the, the blessings that we have. But the temptation would be that when they no longer needed the manna, that they would have a, lose their sight of their need of God. Continuing on with verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and you have all that is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you with the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. There would come a time when they would not be dependent upon the manna. And God was going to richly bless them. They wouldn't have to eat this one solitary piece of food for the next 40 years. 
They'd be in a land flowing with milk and honey. They'd have they'd vines and grapes. They'd have all kinds of fruit and everything that they needed and more. And the concern was, don't forget God. Don't forget his provision. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand hath got me this wealth. Lest you take personal credit for all that you're enjoying. Don't forget the manna. Don't forget how God provided for you when you could not provide for yourself. Don't lose sight of all the blessings you have or God's provision. This isn't what you did. This is what God gave you, just as he gave you the manna. When we're sick, all of a sudden, we make some changes to our diet that we were unwilling to make before. It's important that we don't wait till we're spiritually sick to turn to the, to the Word of God. But while we are healthy, while we're enjoying so many blessings, that we be reading the Word of God. One of the great temptations is all the blessings that we enjoy. We live in a day and age in which there is an incredible amount of discretionary time. And I chose that word carefully, discretionary time. I didn't say free time. Because some people's schedules are just, every single minute of every day seems like there's something that you got to do. There's some kind of commitment that, that you've made. But it's discretion, discretionary. They're, these are things we have committed ourselves to that we wouldn't have to commit ourselves to, but we have. And I'm saying to you, there is really nothing more important than committing yourself to than reading the scriptures. And it's a matter of setting a priority. It, it's a matter of saying, this is something I need to do, this is something I'm going to do. And then one last thought, and I'm going to conclude on this. There is an old adage that says, some people eat to live, and some people live to eat. Have you heard that? Some people eat to live, and some people live to eat. So far, I've been talking about eating to live. I'm talking about staying spiritually healthy. I'm, I'm saying, what, what is the absolute minimum? And I've been encouraging you to read through your Bible in a year as the ultimate minimum. Because that's what you need to live. But then the, there are those people who live to eat. That means that they really enjoy food. <laughs> they, they enjoy the delicacies. They delight in it. The psalmist is one who lived to eat. He said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. 
Not only should we be eating the word to live, but we should be living to eat the word. That is that we would really delight in the word of God. But I would submit to you that in many ways the Bible is an acquired taste. You know, there, there are some things that when you first start eating it, you don't really like. Uh, one of my biggest mistakes in life was that I forced myself to like diet soda. I switched from regular soda to diet soda. And in the beginning, it tasted awful to me. Now, I love this stuff. Now, I know I drink too much of it. I shouldn't be drinking as much of this diet soda. It was an acquired taste. So too, in many respects, the Bible is an acquired taste. You kind of have to force yourself early on to be reading the scriptures. But the more you do, the more you appreciate it, the more you value it, the, the more you look for opportunities to set aside more time to be reading, not less. Job said this, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. More than my necessary food. More than what I need to live on. I cherish God's word more than that. I close with this illustration. And in so doing, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just telling you what happened in my life. That is, for a period of time, I I went to Kutztown, what was then State College, for two years. Then I worked full-time for a year, and then I was going to go to Bible College after that. So I worked for a year where I needed to get money together. And one of my frustrations was that I didn't have as much time to read the Word of God as I wanted to read. So every lunch hour, I went by myself and just read the Scriptures. Because I just wanted to read the Scriptures more than I wanted to eat lunch. Sometimes we have to make time. But I tell you, you'll love it. You'll love it. God will speak to you. God will reveal himself to you. It's a delight. So I close with the last admonition. Encourage you all, read your Bible through this year. If it's your first time, if it's your hundredth time, read the Bible through. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word you've given to us. We thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that in our generation... And where we live in this world, we are privileged to have the entire Word of God. Everything that you have given to us to equip us, everything that we have need of. Oh Lord, give us a heart that cherishes your Word, that can move from a theological concept of your giving us this Word to a heartfelt response that accepts the Bible as your word and longs for you to speak to us. Lord, speak to each one as they read your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.